Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 52 for Picard, season 1, episode 5, Stardust City Rag. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Captain Xavier Maston. Hello, hello. Uh, we have to do a little something for your audio, you know, your engineering background there and have to fix your... It's true. There's some subspace interference on my line this week. I apologize, but we will be back to our usual high quality next week. Actually, will we? We're going to be in Boston. It's true. I'm already in Boston. Well, I'll be. You'll be more in Boston, and I'll be in Boston. Actually, you're right. We will have a different audio configuration next week because we will both be coming right off of PAX East, the annual video game convention in Boston. And our travel kit for our audio podcast setup is a little bit different from our norm, so that's why I sound different. It's why we'll both sound different next week. But then, then for Transporter Lock episode number fifty-four. We'll be back to our usual selves. <laughs> well, today we are here to talk about Star Trek Picard episode Stardust City Rag. Uh, with tradition, we do a too long, didn't read. And you were saying like you didn't think much happened. And here I have like a huge TLDR that I even tried to narrow down. Let's hear your version then. Yeah, here we go. So we opened to 13 years ago with Echeb, former Borg and former Voyager crew member, being gutted alive for his Borg parts. Ugh. Seven arrives to rescue him, but it's too late and needs to mercy kill him. Jump to two weeks ago, we finally see Maddox, and he's telling a woman named Bajazel that Tal Shiar blew up his lab and he would not be able to pay back his debt to her. Bajazel knocks him out, and sh- she prepares to sell him back to the Tal Shiar. Back in the present... Seven is getting ready to leave the ship that she had just been beamed aboard recently, but Picard convinces her to help him with his mission. The crew arrives the planet Free Cloud, and Rafi discovers that Maddox is mixed up with Bejazel, a woman who is looking for someone to broker a deal between her and the Tal Shiar to give up, uh, to give him up for a lot of money. Unable to come up with the money to buy his freedom, Seven offers to use herself as alternative payment. The deal begins and we discover Bejazel and Seven have a past and that Seven's real reason for helping was revenge for what happened to Icheb, as Bejazel used Seven all those years ago to get to Icheb. Just as Seven is about to kill Bejazel, Rios convinces her to stand down and our crew beams back to the ships with Maddox. Beams back to the ship with Maddox. Picard and Seven, as both former Borg, share a moment just before Seven beams back down with two rifles to finish the job. Maddox, now safe and stabilizing in sickbay, tells Picard that Soji is on the captured Borg cube, and she's there to find the truth about the ban on synths, and that he thinks the Romulans and Federation are covering something up. This is something we as viewers have heard over and over again. Backing up just a bit in the episode, Raffi let the ship do, or left the ship to do what she came to Free Cloud to do, talk to her son, who she is estranged to. Rafi tells him that she's clean, but he calls her out on her old conspiracy theories about Mars, and he does not want her around. Heartbroken, she returns to the ship and locks herself in the quarters. Just as the episode wraps up, while everyone else is out of the medical bay, Gerardi, who we found out uh, was close to Maddox, kills him, saying, I wish you knew what I know. I wish I didn't know what I know. 
I wish they hadn't shown me. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> uh, no, that's like the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, wow, I, I really missed that point then. <laughs> so you had a very visceral reaction to the opening of this show. Yeah, uh, so the opening of this episode is uh, one of the most grotesque things we've seen on Star Trek before, in my opinion. Uh, we see a woman pulling out Icheb's eye. We actually get to see this. And she's as she's looking for his cortical node, something that uh, he gave up to Seven back during Voyager itself. Uh, but this doctor did not, your doctor, I use the term very loosely, did not know that. But yeah, this woman is, this, this show, this pulling his eye out was just, without any kind of warning, really, really oof. I, I, I was watching it Thursday morning and put out a warning on Twitter that got passed around because oh, I had no idea what was coming. I was eating breakfast and I did not want other people to, to uh, go through what I did. So do you think that it's the lack of content warning, or do you think it's the fact that this content is in Star Trek at all? That's the issue. Well, for me, it was a lack of content warning. I can stomach it, but something like that, I want to know. A lot of people weren't happy that it existed at all. And I have one friend who is a lifelong Trekkie who said if they keep doing things like this, he's done with the new series. Yeah, I got started on Star Trek when I was eight years old. And imagine if this was the show that my dad had introduced me to, I never would have been allowed to watch it again. Yeah, and this one, I think it's rated R. I guess I never look at the ratings, but to me, it just, I still wish I would have appreciated some kind of warning. Um, I, I, I think it, I think the scene itself is fine. It shows Seven and her connection to Icheb. But to me, I just wish I would have been told. We were talking about Icheb just last week, so it was rather fortuitous that he should show up right after that discussion happens. And it wasn't the same actor, because that actor may or may not be on best of terms with the Star Trek producers right now, but we were talking about Picard and Seven, who are both former Borg, and I'm like, there's one other former Borg, and right here we find out what happened to him. He did join Starfleet. And he died from dissection and euthanasia. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Uh, <laughs> how, how would you have put it? Um, phaser blast to the chest to save his life. To save his life? Oh, not, okay. Poor wording. Save him from more suffering. Yeah, that's euthanasia. I guess I just never heard of it other than gas terms. So, but that's wait, cool. Yeah, when, when when a patient is in great pain and they ask the doctor to. Uh, help them ease their suffering by death. That is physician-assisted suicide or being euthanized, which, you know, we do to animals when they are suffering as we euthanize animals. And it's the, it's the same thing that... It wasn't clear to me if each have asked for that. Like, he said, you can't save me. I don't want you waiting with me until I die. Please go. And then so I feel like Seven took matters into her own hands, which I guess as a Fenris Ranger one does. But... I do I do agree it was the humane thing to do. I don't even think I had anything to do with being a ranger. I just thought it was a the mercy killing. Uh, just like, did it to save him the pain? Because once the Borg loses that much while they're still alive, they, they're, they do not last long. And uh, uh, she knew he was on a pain. There was no way to save him. Uh, so save him the hurt. Uh, it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, because she says, goodbye, my child, which really demonstrates the relationship that they developed in the years since Voyager. And this was 13 years ago. We usually see flashbacks that are 14 years ago. So this is one year after the ban on synthetics. 
Um, but still, like, seven or eight years at least after Voyager gets home. Yeah, this is a very seven-centric episode in so many ways, and I loved it. We got to see what happened to her when she came back. Uh, while she was on Voyager, she was apprehensive about returning to the Alpha Quadrant. Saying, like, there was nothing for her there. Her home was Voyager. And even while she was on Voyager, uh, a Ferengi tried to get her back to the Alpha Quadrant just for her parts. Uh, even if it would kill the rest of the crew, he didn't care. He was just there for seven. Like, she already had a, like, like we already had a hint at what was to come and didn't even know it. Were you surprised that seven did not end up in Starfleet? Not at all. Why is that? Uh, she was never really excited about joining, coming back to the Federation for that reason, because she figured she would be studied. Or there was an episode, a conspiracy one, where she thinks there's a huge conspiracy to get her and bring her back. Uh, we also see that like, she just had no interest because she figured she would be studied and whatnot and her family be broken up. And kind of what happened. Like, like what, is her, what is there to gain from being in Starfleet for her, I suppose? Or what is there for her in Starfleet? And I don't know if there wasn't much, unless she had a desire to be out in space, like had a desire to explore. I mean, I see three possible reasons why she might want to have joined Starfleet. One is what you just said. She gets to be in space. She had human relatives back on Earth, and she might not want to see them. And being on deep space missions for years at a time is a good way to do that. Two is because there's definitely a scientific bent towards Starfleet, and that is something that Seven seemed to have a proclivity toward. And three is that it was, at that point, all she'd ever really known. I mean, from the moment she was severed from the Borg Collective, she, in some capacity, served on Voyager, almost like a member of Starfleet. And so I thought that she might want to continue that familiarity, because if there's one thing the Borg are very good at, it's routine and predictability. And so that's why I thought we might see her in Starfleet eventually. But instead, she ended up as a Federalist Ranger in the lawless boundaries where the neutral zone used to be, defending the indefensible. Heck, maybe for all we know, Starfleet, didn't, Starfleet did not want her. It's true. You're right. We don't know if she applied to the Academy or if she even had to apply to the Academy and maybe things didn't work out. Maybe there's a, maybe as part of the synthetic ban, they said, we don't allow Borg into Starfleet because Borg are part synthetic, which I think would be Oh, extreme. well, then Isha wouldn't be there, though. That's a good he point. he did go to Starfleet. Yeah. That, that's a good uh, who, point. Who died while on leave to help Seven out here on the planet Fenris. And, uh... Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, Seven is a changed person from Voyager 2. Like, she just downs hard liquor like it's nothing now. Yeah, and straight bourbon, some- Wow. Yeah, I, she's seen some serious stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, back on Voyager, I, I wrote down, like, she had, like, what, just a little sip of, like, alcohol or synthahol and got her super drunk, and now she downs, like, nothing, and she's like, I'll have another. <laughs> I especially enjoyed the quiet moment that she and Picard had near the end of the episode. Yeah, uh, they're talking about getting their humanity back, and, uh, I mean, you previously wondered if they would have a discussion like this, and they did. Uh, where Picard had been turned into Locutus, and Seven was uh, freed from the Collective, and she asked him if 
uh, he ever feels he's gotten his humanity back? And he says, yes, but not all of it. And basically she feels the same. Um, it's really touching. I was rewatching it. Uh, that moment and the fact that there's a variant on the Voyager theme playing while they're talking. Uh, I actually started tearing up. The first time it didn't get me, but the second time I think knowing that it wasn't new and I could sit here and digest it. I was actually kind of getting emotional about this. Yeah, that musical cue was very subtle. I actually missed it entirely and I saw the episode only once, so I will have to go back and listen for it the second time. Uh, we also found out that she uh, left Chakotay, apparently. Good. Uh, <laughs> and had a relationship with a woman, uh, which I was happy to hear. Uh, she and Bejazel had a thing. Oh, was that their history? Yeah. Um, they, uh, as Bejazel put it, uh, they had a very personal relationship. And Bejazel called her Annika. And Seven called her Jay. They had these little pet names for each other. Oh, I mean, I, I, it was clear to me that they had some sort of a relationship, but for some reason I thought it was a working relationship. Uh, it sort of was posed as at the start, but they clearly, I don't know if I just can attune to this, being who I am and being very gay. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Just two minutes on my Twitter account, you'll never, you'll see it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, even the way they talked, like uh, Seven said, like, no one, I, I wrote it down because I thought it was kind of neat. Uh, a fortune of, uh, you, you lost me. No one's ever been worth more to you than me. And I slipped right through your fingers. I'm the one that got away. Oh, yeah, uh, when you put it like that. Okay. And Bejazel says to Picard, like, I take it you are unaware of Annika and my close personal relationship. Like, yeah. Uh, and it turned out that Bejazel was using Seven as an easy mark to get to Icheb, but uh, not before they had something close there. Well, that certainly explains why Seven is so anguished by this 13 years later. I mean, you could definitely argue that losing each of the way she did is cause enough. But for that kind of betrayal to come from somebody who you trusted, that's the only way I've ever found to really hate somebody is to first love them. Yeah, yeah. So that, that we, we learned a lot about Seven and what's happened since then. I just love that out of this episode. Before she knows about Pajazo and all that, she's having a little moment in uh, Picard's ready room chateau holodeck thing. And she, they're talking and Picard's kind of like calling her out on being a vigilante. And she's like, don't you give me sass. Uh, she's um, talks about why she's joined the Fenris Rangers. And she says, uh, being a ranger is hopeless. It's pointless. It's exhausting. But the only thing worse would be to give up. Uh, so, and she mentions later, some of us tried to help the worlds the Federation left behind. Uh, that second line feels a lot like the Maquis. Oh, that's interesting. Just like Chakotay. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. But then the first part, she's telling Picard, like, I do this because I'm doing this to help people who have no one else to help them. It's thankless. It's pointless. But she couldn't, she can't give up on people. She still does have hope. Uh, somewhere in there. And I feel like that's going to be a point to come back to later. I feel like they're going to come back to it, especially since, of course, in Star Trek, you're not dead until you see the body. And only then you're just probably dead. <laughs> right. But she, just like Elnor, basically pledged their swords to lost causes. It's what they do. Mm hmm. Uh, yet another person in this world is broken in a different way. 
And we know somebody who loves broken people. Mm -hmm. What do you think happened to her after this episode? Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> because, well, one, we don't see her die, but I love this scene, yeah. She and Picard have a moment. Picard totally knows what she's going to do. She's like, oh, yeah, I've got a ride coming. Uh, I could use some rifles, you know, could always, as a ranger. And he's like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> she beams down, has a little moment with Bejazel, and then disintegrates her. Uh, and then as she's, she takes her, she's got two... Uh, rifles and just shooting at security just do, 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 and the camera pans away like oh yeah she's fine you think she's fine we didn't see her die oh sh we did not see her die uh she got through that alive uh fine is a strong word i guess on my part <laughs> but oh uh, she got through that alive she gave a badge or need help again here's my badge <laughs> and uh what do you think about what happened to her well, you're right. We didn't see her die, but we also didn't see her live. I think when she had that moment with Picard and she confessed to having to fight to regain her humanity every day, and then she immediately turns around and kills, as far as we saw, at least three people, I think that was her giving up on trying to reclaim her humanity. I think she felt that the battle was one she was never going to win, so she may as well give in. And I... I whether or not she bodily survived that assault, I don't know. I don't think she did because I didn't see anywhere for her to escape to. There was no ship coming to give her a lift. But I think even if she did bodily survive it, I think her spirit died. I think she stopped pursuing the humanity that the Borg had taken from her. I think she decided that she was never going to get it back. One of the things that kept coming up was the word hope. And basically she was talking like she had none, but... Think of it, she was going to help Picard before she knew Bejazel was involved. Uh, maybe there was something there. And the instant she found out Bejazel was here, uh, the plan changed. And then she made a comment to like, uh, Picard still thinks basically there's to Bejazel later when she left down alone just before killing her. And she made a comment, Picard still thinks there's mercy mer or space for mercy in this galaxy. But she doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. If she actually feels that way. Maybe, maybe Picard here shows that shows that maybe some hope. I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll see her. I hope we get to see her again. Yeah, the Twitterverse was absolutely exploding over the return of Seven. Not that it was a surprise. She was in the trailer way back in July at Comic Con. But there were so many people who are so excited for Seven of Nine's return. It would be a missed opportunity to see her again. But in the meantime, I kind of feel like. This was Star Trek letting us know how her story ended. It's possible. Yeah, I, I could totally see that if that's what happens. I could totally see that. Now, clearly, that's not what I'm hoping happens. <laughs> I love Seven. Right, She's right. a great character. <laughs> One more thing about Bajazel. She was giving me strong Betazoid-like feels, but I don't think she was. Her makeup was very 80s, early uh, Deanna Troy. And a name, too. I agree. When Every time I saw her, I felt like I was looking at a young Deanna Troy. But that's not because I suspected her of being empathetic or telepathic. It's, it was purely aesthetic, as you described it. Yeah, I, if she was Betazoid, she was not giving off any hints of that during their negotiations. But uh, just very much that, that feel of Deanna Troy. Like, I guess that was interesting to note. Maybe she appropriated the Betazoid culture. Mm -hmm. It's possible, or she is. It doesn't have the this uh, or part Betazoid doesn't have the powers. Maybe we just don't know. Uh, she died 
before we found out. <laughs> she didn't see that coming, so she couldn't have been too telepathic. Mm-hmm. I loved Rios coming down here with his little pimp hat and <laughs> whole ordeal here. Um, the whole setup with him trying to be the setup for this brokering a deal. I just loved his little act here. I don't know. I just thought it was fun. Yeah, with the feather and the cap and everything. You don't often see that sort of display in Star Trek. That was no. hilarious. And the giant, uh, the, the, the yeah. giant monster bodyguard type person that he was talking to who could smell all different kinds of fear or whatever. It was so nice to see that actor getting work again. Uh, do you know where he's from before? I did not look it up. Well, I mean, he had that big success in the mid-90s when he played Nemesis in Resident Evil 3. And what's he done since then? You know, I mean, there's a Resident Evil 3 remake coming out this year now, and he was in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I mean, Star Trek Picard. So just, it's so great to see His Nemesis careers. back. Going up and up and up. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, Free Cloud. The planet Free Cloud. Um... When Rios beams down, we see uh, Mott's hair emporium and Quark's, a sign that says Quark's. Um, people are guessing this is some kind of franchise. <laughs> and a tagline that says, what's yours is ours. Well, even uh, I'm, uh, Rios's fake credentials reference Mr. Quark of Ferenginar. Uh-huh. Uh, which, uh, allegedly, Quark even responded to our reptilian bodyguard. Uh, appreciating Rios' help with the his problem with the Breen. And so, uh, fun little poke to D-Space-9. Yeah, it means that Quark is alive and doing well, and he apparently is still willing to be bought to provide fake credentials. <laughs> Which is not surprising, because uh, look at how many Bajorans he helped escape the occupation. He must have provided lots of fake credentials back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when they arrived at Free Cloud, everyone getting personalized advertising uh, was a fun little moment. Except for one character. Yeah, but it's also an interesting, uh, quick little way to explore about these characters, maybe things we already knew or whatever. Like, uh, in order, like Rios gets a message about ship maintenance from a Red Bullion uh, CGI character. Uh, Picard gets an advertisement from a hotel about going to tea time. Uh, Raffi gets an advertisement about uh, space marijuana, a uh, snake bite or something like that. And Dorati gets a job posting for a free cloud institute of entertainment robotics. And then Elnor's like, I don't get one. Because <laughs> he didn't get an advertisement. Do you think because he has no interest or he is just unable to be purchased? I was trying to figure that out. And I could not come up with an satisfactory answer maybe they don't advertise to romulans maybe they don't advertise to people who uh haven't been here before which you know who knows like i, I don't think i don't think picard and gerardi have been here before but that, so that one wasn't a very strong hypothesis but maybe they have in the past and we just don't know uh but i was i could not come up with a satisfactory yeah, I mean, these advertisements can't be based on their prior records because if they were, then it would have been apparent that it was Picard who was present. And instead, they were all able to assume these fake identities and nobody knew better. So the ads weren't targeting Jean-Luc Picard specifically, but somehow they still knew that he drinks tea. So they, maybe they accessed 
the ship's logs to see what they had been doing in the last 24 hours. So almost like a cookie, like, oh, we saw you visited this <laughs> other website. I just say browser and for search engine history. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe Elnor didn't do anything in those 24 hours on the ship. And this is a bit of a, a, a tangent. Let me know if we're able to go on this at this point. But Elnor did almost nothing in this entire episode. They made such a big deal out of getting him onto the ship last week, and we've seen no benefit from that. Here he was comic relief, but I think I wrote down he. I think he had one line that was meant as a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, while they're on the holodeck planning out their little escapade, and Picard is doing his ridiculous French accent, uh, uh, he makes a comment that uh, where did I put it here? Um, everyone is pretending to be someone else except me. However, up to this point, we none of like Gerardi is uh still being her normal self, but he includes her in this. Uh it may have been just a him just saying things. Maybe it was the writers giving a little hint. Uh but beyond that, he really did not do much other than comic relief in this episode. Well that's interesting about um Aggie. When he said that, had she been assigned transporter duty yet? Uh it was either right before or right after this, but even then, that's not really pretending to be someone else. It was something she was very uncomfortable with, a role. Yeah. But, I don't know, pretending feels like a strong word for what everyone else is doing. But uh, but then there's also including, that would mean including Rafi here, too, and Rafi wasn't part of it, too. So it might not have been a little nod, but uh, it kind of fits, but not necessarily. There are holes in it, but it doesn't completely negate the fact that he said it. Speaking of Rafi, do you want to talk about her and her son? Yeah, so we finally found out why she came down here, and that was to try to reconnect with her son, uh, who uh, she lost contact with him and her hu- her husband uh, because of her quote-unquote conspiracy theories. And uh, we learned a little bit more, too. I think we've seen one of these terms before. He's like, because he's like, pissed that she shows up and she's like i'm i'm clean and he's like okay sure and like tell me how tell me about the, the attack on mars tell me it wasn't really the since tell me about the conclave of eight i don't think you realize how much it sucked to be your son I'm like damn uh so apparently she became known for her quote-unquote conspiracy theories uh after the events of the mars attack and she was also some sort of an addict, which we knew maybe was possible because we had seen her taking narcotics in prior episodes. But apparently it was a big enough part of her life that it interfered with a lot of other things, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She Maybe there was some harder stuff. And now she just uses this snake bite stuff medicinally. I don't know. Maybe this stuff isn't as uh, uh, a narcotic like it. Or some kind of drug that we just assumed it was, but maybe it isn't. I'm not sure. But she told either she told him a lie, or she is clean from something that gave she struggled with in the past. But it's clear that the, her conspiracy theories are something she is still holding on to, and that is just as big an issue for her son as the drugs were. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we still don't get any confirmation. Like we keep being told over and over again, these 
conspiracy happened, but we're like almost no closer to get, or we have no more new information really from the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as far as Rafi goes, at least she got to meet her daughter-in-law. Um, yeah. And, and, a partner and, of some kind. Yeah, that's true. And find out the gender of her upcoming grandchild. Interesting that they, this couple had to go off world outside of the Federation to a reproductive clinic. Oh, for some reason, I thought he worked there. But what you're saying makes more sense. Yeah, uh, in the past, they've established that uh, cross-species kids aren't the most easy thing to do. But it's not impossible. Because we saw it with Paul and Tripp's uh, quote-unquote kid. And we've seen Spock and whatnot. But um, here we see some possibly non-Federation citizens or at least non-Starfleet citizens who have to go to a former neutral zone to get some reproductive health care. Was his wife Romulan or Vulcan? Uh, I wasn't sure until I did the credit or the subtitles the second time, and her name is Pell. That's a very Vulcan name. Yes. But okay. it's not 100% sure, but that's a very Vulcan name, so I'm like, very likely she's not Romulan. Okay. Because not only was there T'Pol and Trip, as you mentioned, and Spock, but in some of the novelizations about, well, not just novelizations, but novels as well, about Spock, it's implied that Amanda and Sarek needed help to have Spock. So there's a lot of precedent for what you're put, laying down. I like it. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and very logical. Uh, <laughs> if you looked at the sign over the medical center on the left side. It has like two babies in pink and blue walking on the background. And on the right side, it had a human baby. On the left side, it had a Vulcan baby crawling. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. nice Yeah. Cool. Um, But Ravi, I think uh, when her son Gabe questions her, he says, tell me about the Conclave of Eight. And I feel like this is not the first time we've heard that term, but we still have zero context for what that means. Do you remember when it came up previously? I don't. No, I don't. And it just feels like, I feel like I've heard this before, before seeing this episode. But I can't remember who said it or when. I just, it's been a while. Like on an earlier episode. Well, I'm on the Memory Alpha page for Conclave of Eight. Which, granted, is not authoritative or comprehensive because it is all volunteer run. But according to Conclave of Eight, it's only mentioned so far has been the start of City Rag. Okay, I may be mistaken. I just felt familiar. Uh, so maybe in a, another viewing in the future. Well, Bree, I mean, you are witness to so many conspiracies. Uh, Conclave of Eight could be involved in any number of them. There seem to be some motherhood themes here. Seven called each of her son. Uh, and, and we got Rafi meeting her son, who uh, they have in a strange relationship. I just thought that it was, I thought it was interesting. Uh, we see two dichotomies or two differences in motherhood here. Yeah, there are definitely some parallels there. How, gosh, I mean, one mom loves her son so much that she puts him down, and the other mom loves her son so much, and yet the son doesn't want the love. In fact, both sons, one commonality is they both said, leave me alone in the end, for very different reasons. One was like, I don't want you to see me suffer and die, and the other was like, I don't want you to see me live. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang. 
And yet we uh, didn't see Rafi and Seven have any sort of a moment together either. No, other than, oh, there was a, a fun, I thought it was a cute little scene. Uh, Rios is talking, or near the beginning, Rios comes up to Rafi, who's looking at her son on a monitor uh, before she beams down. He's he's a little uncomfortable having a ranger on board. He's like, she's back there talking to him. And Rafi so, says, like, uh, she used to be Borg. Uh, and Rios is like, oh, she's that ranger. She's notorious. And um, and they're having a little conversation. He's adding more qualifiers to Seven. He's like, oh, she's a Fenris ranger. Oh, she's an ex-Borg Fenris ranger. Oh, she's an ex-Borg Fenris ranger from the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Very specific, because you don't want to confuse her with all the other ex-Borg Fenris Rangers. Uh, but apparently she is notorious. She has a reputation. And he clearly did not catch her Borg implants, or thought maybe there was some kind of cybernetics before, because she didn't realize she was Borg or former Borg until Rafi mentioned it. And then he a little bit of exposition for the viewer, in case you've forgotten. He's like, oh, I've forgotten Picard was ex-Borg as well. Right, because anybody watching this show needs that reminder. What did you think of Picard's performance as a fake Frenchman? Or a fake, fake French... Fake, <laughs> fake Frenchman? Fake Frenchman playing a fake Frenchman. Oh, gosh. Yeah, uh, it was hilarious. It was over the top. He was having fun. And by he, I don't know if I mean Patrick Stewart or Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> but it was very silly with his eye patch and everything. Uh, it's It didn't feel very much like Jean-Luc Picard, though. Like, if you had told me when I was watching TNG... 25, 30 years ago, that that character that stayed upright captain of the Starship Enterprise was going to don an eye patch and a leather jacket and go parading around a bar <sighs> claiming, you know, with a fake French accent. That would have sounded like bad fanfic to me. I, 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 I can totally understand that. Here, I thought it was like for years, ever since like, or this came out, I almost said Voyager, uh, TNG, people were like, you have a British man playing a French person with a British accent. And it's kind of just like a ha huh, or a ha ha moment. And here, I thought it almost could could feel like a little play on that. It's like, ho oh, ho, wait, wait, now I am very French because I have this ridiculous French accent. Bree, you <laughs> do that really have, well. We already have one. <laughs> you sound like you could be the candelabra from Beauty and the Beast. You're that good. Oh, I could. Oh, um, I, I was going for uh, Holy Grail, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. They're both kind of fake. Oh, what fake? No, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I thought it was fun. Uh, <laughs> he was just getting into it, but uh, I feel like I feel like it was just a little nod to that, or a possible nod to that. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, we started getting hints. Uh, jumping to Durati. We saw her looking at old family videos and we discovered that she had a romantic relationship with Maddox, something we did not know up until now. As he is uh, doing the Star Trek thing of uh, replicating ingredients, but making it yourself, the food yourself, that Riker used to do as well. I think uh, that was uh, on Voyager as well, or, or and Cisco definitely did it. Uh, and it's a little nod where he's just making cookies. And once they rescue him, uh, well, even before they rescue him, uh, during the 
mission on the planet, they tasked Gerardi with doing the transporter. And she's a little nervous about this. But uh, my second viewing, uh, while she's waiting to hear back to beam the crew up, she's standing by the transporter console, uh, psyching herself up. We're led to believe it's about being nervous about running the transporter. But, you know, on second viewing, it's like, no, I think she's nervous about what she has to do when they rescue Maddox. She's sitting there like, it'll be okay, you have to do this. And the EMH appears and picks up that she's uh, going through some things. She dismisses him. But uh, we're led to believe she's agonizing over using the transporter, but I think it's about having to kill Maddox. Do you think, I'm sure she knew at that point that it was possible that she would have to do that. I think she was hoping that she wouldn't have to, that maybe that they were wrong about their theories, that maybe Maddox didn't create these twins, that maybe Maddox was being coerced and his knowledge was, you know, absconded by some other party like the Tal Shiar. I, I don't know. I, I'm oh, sure. It's very possible. Yeah. You know, I, so I think she was hoping, please let Maddox be in a situation where he can live. Please let me have him back the way I had him before. Then uh, he gets back and he tells a little bit about Picard. He also just repeats the conspiracy line. Tells Picard, though, that Soji is on the artifact, the reclaimed Borg cube. So that's their next mission. Uh, he also tells us that you were correct about uh, the mom AI. Yep. Says uh, the embedded mom AI would not have activated her unless she was in grave danger. And he's in a weak, extremely weak state already after being in captivity for two weeks with from Bajazel. And uh, everyone's out of the sick bay except for Gerardi. He wakes up and sees Agnes. Says, we did it. Soon you and I. Your contribution was essential. And she starts to cry as she basically deactivates his life support. Uh, after he says your contribution was successful, she says one more thing I have to atone for. And then he dies. Uh, the EMH also appears for a hot second as he's dying and she dismisses it. So clearly now there is still a witness. They're going to have to erase his memory just like they did to the doctor on Voyager that one episode. If she doesn't do it now, we got another plot point for the future. What do you think the other thing she has to atone for is? Like, what was her contribution to all this? We don't know exactly. Um, That's why I'm asking. But she is... No, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. But clearly she had something to do with the androids um, doing their thing, but she feels that she is responsible for something. Maybe she feels like she's responsible for the synth attack. Maybe... Um, she uh, feels she needs to atone for having to murder Maddox here. Uh, when she's killing him, she also says, I wish you knew what I know. I wish I did not know what I know. I wish they hadn't shown me. Last time we saw it, just before she joined the crew, uh, uh, the head of intelligence, oh, talked to her. But we did not see that conversation. Oh, you think that she might be part of that same conspiracy, the one that sent the Romulan undercover spy to the Borg cube. Uh, well, maybe not directly related to that part, but something happened where I feel like, oh, showed her something, convinced her of something, mind melded her of a lie, 
or something, but uh, brainwashed her? I don't know. But uh, something O did got to Jurati. If she wasn't already. Oh, d- d- remind me, when O showed up in that scene, did she have to introduce herself? I think she did, didn't she? Yeah, she did. Okay. Yeah, you're right then. Now that scene could be very telling, and maybe we'll get a flashback later where we see what happened. Oh, gosh. I mean, O is definitely so, the one giving orders to a lot of people here. I think she's Romulan, so there may not have been a mind meld, but she pro- she has Romulans under her control, and she may have shown Agnes something, as she said. But it's strange to me that if Agnes's contribution was essential to the creation of these perfect synthetic beings, how come Maddox has to die and Agnes does not? Like, how come nobody has killed Agnes? How come Agnes didn't kill herself? If she knows so much and contributed so much that she's just as responsible and just as much a, to blame as Maddox. Because uh, for right now, Jurati is their key to Picard and what he's uncovering. But we don't know that she's not in... She may not know it, that she's going to die later. Who knows? Oh, it's like, all right, you've done your job. Bye. I think maybe Agnes is an early prototype of the synthetic life forms that Maddox created. It's possible. Uh, we don't know enough. Uh, the hypothesis of Rios might be a hologram as well, or Rios. Right. But that would certainly explain why Agnes's contribution was essential. She was a necessary step along the way to the perfect being. And... It'll explain why she has to atone for it, because without one, you can't have the other. And also introduces a parallel where in the one of the very first episodes, we see Agnes with the remains of B4. She is essentially the B4 to these new creatures that Maddox has created. An early prototype. Very possible. Mm-hmm. I have something about me to talk I mean, we still feel like there's the way they talked before, not in this episode, but in the past, they talked about, made it sound like there's more of um, the androids. Yeah, especially how they're always created as twins. We don't know where Agnes's twin is. Maybe the early prototype wasn't perfect because it didn't have a twin. One very big flaw in my theory, though, is we saw Agnes and Maddox having that romantic relationship. I think that would be strange if Maddox had a romantic relationship with his own creation. Um, there may be some ethical implications there we also don't know that that video that she was watching was authentic i mean we now know that mom ai can generate fake video so mm-hmm. maybe agnes has this precious memory she's holding on to that isn't hers just like how we saw dodge have memories in the first episode that picard said those are your memories i can't rule this hypothesis out uh, I, I feel I, I feel like it's not where they're going with it, but I can't rule it out. So I'm excited to see if it does pan out that way. Yeah, I mean, I've I've read other theories on the Daystream Institute subreddit, and I'm trying to avoid them because some of them are just so detailed, and I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, that 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 could work, and I don't want things spoiled for me. So th- the theory I'm sharing now is not something I read; it is my own. I'm gotcha, sure. Gotcha. I'm sure it's not something unique. I'm sure other people have had this idea. Because there's nothing new under the sun. And it could be completely wrong. I have no idea where Picard is going. But we are halfway through the season now. And I think now that Picard knows 
that the board cube is where he needs to go. And this is the first episode where we haven't seen the board cube. I think we're going to see a lot yeah. more interaction between the two plots. I think things are going to start tying together more. And I think we're going to start getting some answers to all the questions we have in the back half of the, of the season. Anything else about this episode? Uh, that's what I had. I thought I, I love the world building. I love the building of a uh, start city and free cloud. And the, this is basically bastion of uh, protection and safety. Even if it's uh, a wretched high, a scum and villainy. <laughs> Yes, it was definitely that. I nice to know that all science fiction universes have some equivalent of that. Right? Uh like we find the Fenris Rangers who they are, they're from a planet named Fenris, and they use this planet to save the the hoard hoard their money or save their money, their funds, which I just thought, thought a lot of the world building here was really fun. And uh now it's a whole playground for future people to use. Uh in their own media, be it fan fiction, uh fan video, like movies. Or future shows. I just love it. I love it. I love the Outer Rim uh, world, Wild West kind of feel. I can definitely see Emperor Georgiou returning to Free Cloud. Oh, for sure. Section 31 totally feel like could come up. Now, granted, Discovery is either 150 years before or 900 years after Picard, but I don't think that'll stop him. Yeah, I can't wait to see how they figure that out, too. <laughs> awesome. So this has been another great episode of Picard, another great episode of Transporter Lock. We hope you all stay tuned for next week when we review Season 1, Episode 6, The Impossible Box. Until then... Engage. Or hit it. Or I'll figure that out. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. <laughs> <laughs>